home that love you and support you and are praying for you is, is very important. So she's got some great cards. We'd love for you to, to do that. So our privilege. Uh, we'll ha- we have a lot of these crew folks, not a lot, but a handful of them that are just so dear to us because they're so faithful. They drive up from Norman. They spend time with us. And, and last night, we, I was able to be a part of the wedding of one of those amazing people. as Brooke Allen and Mark Osborne uh, got married, and uh, it was really fun. And so we got to be a part of that. We had a, a uh, wedding in this building for the very first time, which was really cool. They messed everything up, and we were up here late fixing it all, but it was still really cool. Um, no, it was, it was great, and it was really fun to see um, because it really is a privilege for me, especially getting to officiate um, weddings, but really, you know, people that we know really well, um, that we've spent a lot of time with. It's a real privilege to be invited into this sort of first steps in their life. And Mark and Brooke and I spent a lot of time, I'd done their counseling, we spent a lot of time together over the past few months, but it's, it's a real privilege to stand up there in, in a wedding in a moment of worship and just say, God, we are, are making this covenant together. And um, we're starting our life together with you. And, and I'd ask them along the way, and I, I kind of do this when I do the weddings, is, is there a piece of text or scripture that is just like really important to you? And I try and, try and work it into what we're doing. And, and they, it, without hesitation, said Philippians 3, 8 through 11. That is what we want our lives to be marked by. And they had, they had talked about it, obviously. And, and so I started thinking about it. It's not really wedding text at all, uh, but it's really powerful. And it's, it's one of my favorite pieces of text. In fact, Philippians 3, the chapter, was the first piece of text I ever really memorized uh, because it's so revolutionary. And so I had this stuff that I was doing out of Ephesians 2 that I really loved, but I just didn't love it as much of what God was doing in my heart as I was spending time talking about some of this text for their wedding. So I decided to change it all up. And so we are going to be looking at those verses, and I'm going to explore them a little differently and a little deeper this morning than I did last night, but it was a great reminder of my heart of just this sort of beautiful invitation that we get into a personal love relationship with the living God. I mean, uh, all of our broken humanity and sinfulness, and God invites us to know him in an intimate way. It's really, really, really remarkable. So that's where we're going to be this morning, and so I would consider, I would ask you guys to consider um, kind of what Caitlin has said and, and how we can get involved with them and sort of the personal nature of the relationship that she's going to be sharing with people um, as they go into these college campuses and share the gospel with Jesus Christ. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Philippians 3, 7 through 11. Um, yeah, so some of you will remember years ago, well, three years ago, I think we, we started walking the book of Philippians. It took us 21 weeks or so, and, and, and we kind of spent some time in, in these places as we walked through every verse. But I'm going to look at it from a little different angle this morning because I really am struck by the fact that God, in his incredible, mysterious, and amazing way, invites us into this this deeply personal relationship, right, where we can't perform for him or earn his love or any of those things, but his grace just sort of washes over us and he invites us to know him in an intimate way. And, and as Caitlin was sharing her story, I was really reminded too that it's just incredible that even in our own anxieties and worries and shortcomings and fears and failures, that God invites us into this beautiful thing. And I think at times we take it for granted because if we've known Christ for very long, that newness wears off, and we just kind of exist in a place of mediocrity. But if we really remember what he's called us into and the relationships he's invited us into, it's just world-changing. So let's take a look at Philippians 3, 7 through 11, and before we do that, let's just pray, and we'll sort of examine what it really looks like to know Christ this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for uh, Caitlin. I thank you for crew. I thank you for all the things that they're doing to to really love and win students with the gospel. 
Um, there's a lot of people in this room that have had their lives influenced by crew, uh, whether they've worked or supported the kids or gone to the fundraisers or just watched these young people get involved with Bible studies in life. And um, it really is a remarkable, remarkable thing. Um, it's, and it's a privilege to be able to be a part of the lives as we, we support them and send them to other places. God, I'm reminded this morning that I am in desperate need of you, desperate need of you, Jesus, that all of my sin and shortcoming and failures have just been exposed in my life and my heart for so, so long, and I take for granted this personal relationship that you have invited me and you've invited us into. And so this morning as we open your word, I just pray, God, that you would, you would make that sort of simple truth known to us, that we get to know Jesus. Like, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life, that we get to know Jesus. And so, Lord, just kind of press that on our heart this morning. Take a moment right where you sit, and just for the next few minutes, uh, as we open the Word, just ask God to teach your heart, to rekindle some kind of passion or flame or fire, just whatever you need to whisper to the Lord, to ask Him to teach you this morning. Just take a moment and do that. Pray for someone beside you or around, around you, even if you don't know their name. Just pray that God would move in them this morning. Lord, we come before you and just ask you to teach our hearts. We know that an encounter with your word is an encounter with you. We don't take it lightly. This is not some kind of guidebook or instruction book for our life. It is your very love and word poured out. Tell us it is the Theopunestos. It is the breath of God. And uh, Lord, that is incredible. Um, so teach our hearts this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Philippians 3, um, we're going to start in 7, but it's really important to understand that 1 through 6 are actually intricately connected to 7. And in 1 through 6, Paul is basically saying, look, I want everyone to understand that if there's anybody on this planet that has the right or the ability to put confidence in what the world says they have, it's me. Because remember, Paul was one of the most educated guys. He had all the right birthrights, all the right offerings, all the right giftings, all the right stuff. And from a worldly perspective, he had a lot to offer God. He had the right life and the right system, and he was doing it the way that he thought he should until Jesus showed up in his life and exposed him and exposed all that he was. And so Paul's saying, look, if anybody has the right to put confidence in themselves and their flesh and what the world says, it's me, right? But he picks up in verse 7 because he says, but there's something so much better. And this is what he said. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. So Paul basically says, like, if there's anybody on this planet at this point in time that has the right life, right, the right things and giftings and education and birthrights, has the right to 
offer anything to the Lord, it is certainly me. And he actually goes through a list of things that he has, how he was born and the day that he was born, how he was raised, who his parents were, who trained him. And he went through this sort of worldly setup to say, my life, and I'm not trying to brag, but I'm just saying my life on the outside was set up to offer things to the Lord. And it was set up not only to do that, but to rely on my own ability, to perform spiritually and otherwise, to show people that I have it, and that I can put confidence in what I have to offer and what I know, right? And so Paul says, if anybody has that right, it's me. However, however, I have learned when Jesus stepped into my life that there is something greater, and that something greater is knowing Jesus and being found in him. And Paul says that everything that I've got, this stack of stuff, right, compared to knowing Jesus, is worthless. And so this morning what I thought I wanted to look at is this, this idea this, actually, this incredible gift that we get when God invites us to know him personally and intimately through his son, through a relationship with his son. Because if you're like me, we do try and give everything we have to sort of bolster our appearance before the Lord. And even if it's not like Paul with all of his offerings, it's God, I'm trying, or I'm pr- trying to perform, or God, I'm trying to get my life together, or God, I'm trying to stop doing this, or God, I'm trying and I'm trying and I'm trying. And we put confidence at times in our ability to try for God. And, and we even mark it with our prayer life, right? God, when we start praying and confessing, we're like, God, you know, it's just a hard time right now and I haven't been to church in a while. And God, I'm, I'm really trying. I'm trying to stop doing this. Or God, I'm trying. We try and put all that out before the Lord. But, but Paul says that there's something amazing, right? That everything that I've got c- compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus and being found in him, right, is, is, is rubbish. The first thing I want us to see there is that Paul talks about how loss is gain. And this is just a little bit of what I talked about last night, just a tiny little piece. But he talks about how loss is actually gain. Because one of the great privileges of the Christian life is being able to die to ourselves, And I talk about that a lot, but it is the great privilege. And it's what this verse basically says. It says that whatever I was, I consider a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. Whatever I have, whatever I do, whether it's material, whether it's education, or whether it's opportunity, whether it's who I am or my ability to do something well or just the way people look at me, like whatever that is, I consider it actually a loss. Like it's a loss compared to knowing Jesus. So a loss is what Paul's saying. Actually, it actually is a gain because when I die to myself and I surrender those performance-driven movements for God, when I surrender those I gain something so much better. I gain knowing Jesus and being found in him. So this mountain of stuff that I have sort of prepared and presented to cover my life or to to show the Lord, to show him that I am trying, or even to show the world that I've got this thing kind of put together, all of that, when I die to it and it's destroyed, is not actually a loss. I don't lose anything. What I do is gain something remarkable and amazing, and I gain knowing Jesus. So we've got to understand that a loss, when we die to ourselves and die to those things, is not a loss at all. It's actually a gain because what we gain is so much greater. And Paul actually says, to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, the joy of knowing in Jesus is better than everything I could ever assume my life is worth. And whatever the world says I have to offer, or whatever the world tries to tell me, the simple idea of knowing Jesus is so much greater. In fact, what does Paul call it? He says, when you compare the two, This one is rubbish. 
It's a really funny thing he does there with that word rubbish because it's only used one time in the New Testament. It's actually a Greek word, skubalon. So, Kaylee, you want to jot these things down if you're going to Greece, right? Skubalon, probably not this one, though. It actually is a Greek word that means excrement. And it actually means poop. And it actually means a little bit of the vulgar, more version of that word, which we're all thinking about. And there's been a lot written on, did Paul really use profanity or not? It doesn't matter. The bottom line is it is offensive. And it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. And I didn't use that at their wedding because one thing I didn't want them to remember. Why did Tripp talk about poop at our wedding? I can't remember. So. <laughs> but, I, but the point is what Paul says is that when you, when, you, when you put this stuff, even this great mountain of stuff that Paul has, right? I mean, the right birthright and life and education and the right way to speak and all the right words and sort of the, the adoring nature of sort of the pharisaical community because they thought Paul was going to be the next most likely higher chief priest. I mean, he was on the right track. He says when you take all of that and you compare it to the, simply, the simple nature of knowing Jesus, it's, it's like trash, waste, excrement. It's worthless. And I find that really remarkable because we do this to the Lord all the time, right? And I want you to take these two images in your head. You've got the first one, which is God as an extravagant, incredible, mysterious, amazing love that loves humanity so much, humanity that, that was sinful and broken, humanity that would mock him and ultimately kill him, humanity that would turn its back and run on him. And he looks at that humanity and he says, humanity, I love you so deeply that you in all of your sinful and brokenness cannot come to me in all of my holy nature. So I will come to you through the person of my son, the flawless Jesus, and I will offer him as the last sacrifice that you will ever need for your sin. And he will die and be raised because you can't do this on your own. And all you have to do is put your faith in him as Lord and Savior. And not only will I redeem you, but I will let you know my intimate heart. I mean, that's the gospel, right? That is what Jesus says. This is what I have to offer. Keep that image in your mind. When we put our hope and our confidence in ourselves and our ability even to perform for God or, or the picture of masking the, the nature of our lives for the world and trying to rely on our own selves or our own abilities to dig ourselves out or to kind of show God we're trying, when we offer any of those things, it's like we go out back to the septic tank or the outhouse and we drag our fingers off the bottom and we pull it out and we walk over to the Lord and we go, thanks but no thanks because look at what I've got. And the world around you can see how disgusting and how smelly but it is, but, but you're sitting here going, it's great. Because we don't see the ugliness in our own sin and the ugliness in our own self-confidence because the God of the universe has given us this. And for some blind reason, we believe that we have something to offer him. And what Paul does is he says, that's what happened to Paul's life the day that Jesus stepped in he realized that he was holding out two hands of rubbish to a God that was willing to give him everything. Knowing Jesus is understanding that loss is actually gain. There's the greatest freedom in the world when you get to realize that you don't have to do this. That you don't have to do this for God to truly love you. That you don't have to perform for him or earn it or work at it. Like you can be a failure and he is still a rescuing and redeeming God. Because when I die to that nature, I gain knowing Jesus and being found in him, right? So the first part of that is that understanding that loss is gain when it comes to knowing Jesus. He goes on to say, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the passing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my 
Lord. There's an intimate and personal nature in our relationship with Christ that continues to surprise me every day because a lot of us have been raised to think that this is sort of God's movement for humanity and it's for everyone and that's great and I'm lumped into that category of people. But knowing Jesus is actually a deeply intimate and personal invitation. And it's all wrapped up there in that word my, right? It's wrapped up in that word where we understand where Paul says that the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Not just Lord. Jesus is certainly Lord, and we're going to talk about that in a second, but he's my Lord. Like that deeply personal relationship that we are invited into. And there's a difference because most of us are, are, have been raised in places where we've been taught to know about Jesus. But there's a huge difference in knowing about Jesus and actually knowing Jesus. They're very different things. I can know all about God and his stories, and I can know all about the things that Jesus is, and I can know all the history I need to know, and I can read the Bible every day, and I can show up to church all my life, and I can know all about Jesus and never really know him. One of the most frightening passages and powerful passages in all of Scripture comes at the end of Matthew 7 as Jesus is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. And he's, he's now talking to a very large group of people. Started off just as the disciples, but now he's talking to this big, large group of people. And most of them are, are pretty religious leaders. And he looks at them, basically, and he says, you know, that there's a, a time where things are going to get very personal. And this is what he says to them. I'm just going to read it to you so you can hear it. And this is what he says to them. And I find it to be frightening and powerful at the same time. He says, listen, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons and perform miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So Jesus is talking to this group of religious people. Uh, people that have given their entire lives to all things spiritual. right? All things religion. And he says, there will be a time where you stand before me and it's this ridiculously awful day of judgment, right? Where everything is exposed. And the Bible is very clear that we will all stand before God at some moment and, and you will plead with me and you will even say, Lord, Lord, you will use the term that I am. You will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do great things for you? Did we not cast out demons and prophecy? Did we not do spiritual things for you? It says Jesus says on that day, I will look at you and I'll say, away from me because I never knew you, Right? And I find that frighteningly powerful because a lot of us have built our lives on the doing side of spirituality, right? We want to do things to make up for our failures, our sins, our struggles. And we think that if I can just get back to church or maybe I can just try and, and read or pray a little more, I'll get a new devotional book. It'll, it'll correct all those things or will make me feel better and we have this knowledge of God without being able to know him intimately because intimate knowledge of God means I've died to myself and I realize what he's offering me and the garbage that I'm offering him and I'm invited into this deeply personal relationship with Jesus. Deeply personal. I mean, is that how you would describe your relationship with the Lord? Intimate, deeply personal? I think for most of us, there were glimpses of that. There's moments of that, but we, we find ourselves locked into seasons of mediocrity where we just seem to exist. 
One of the great things about knowing Jesus, the invitation that God gives us, is that it's, it's intimate and personal, where he knows every corner of your heart, every broken sentence, every broken relationship, every deep fear that you've never uttered out loud, everything that you have always wanted to be and never felt like you could, every single thing, he knows them. And he invites you to confess them and he invites your tears and your brokenness he invites your joys and your triumphs he invites you to know his character and he invites you to know his love and his unconditional forgiveness and grace and when we begin to understand the personal nature of what Jesus has invited us into through his death and resurrection our walls begin to come down because I no longer have to, to perform to earn God's favor and his grace. I understand that he has lavished it on me in ways that I can't understand. And knowing Jesus is so deeply intimate and personal. But for a lot of us, it hasn't been or it's not. And so I, I challenge you to say, God, why am I so afraid to be intimate with you? Why do I, I hedge my prayers to make sure they sound correctly, even though I already know you know what I'm feeling, the doubts and the fears. And we've talked about those things a lot over the past few weeks, the doubts and the fears and the frustrations. Why do I pretend like they're not there? When I know you know me, I'm exposed to you, right? Intimacy at the end of the day is really just about being exposed, right? It's about being vulnerable. Our most intimate moments are when there is nowhere to hide, and the fun thing, and I say fun because the fun thing about following Jesus is that there's nowhere to hide, right? So we've got these pictures. We've got this, this loss, this gain, this understanding that what Jesus done versus what I try and offer him is, is actually letting go of that stuff is a joy because it invites me into God's incredible and amazing personal relationship. And the last part I want to look at is tied on the end of that sentence where he says, this passing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my my intimate and personal Lord. Knowing Jesus really means coming to this place where we understand the Lordship of Christ. And I, I talk about the Lordship a lot because it's one of those things that I wrestle with all the time. And it's one of those things that I think a lot of us do. And Lordship, the doctrine of Lordship really at, it, at its core is about understanding that Jesus is Lord overall. That there is nothing, and the scripture teaches about this all the time, there is nothing that is beyond his control. That God is moving and in every single thing, including my life. And so when we proclaim Jesus as Lord, what we're saying is, Jesus, you are Lord over everything. You are moving through and in, and everything holds together because of you. Now, whether or not we want to acknowledge that or not doesn't change the fact that Jesus is Lord, right? But when we acknowledge that Jesus is my Lord, what we're saying is, Jesus, you are Lord of all, in all, through all. All things hold together because of you, and that is true in my life, because you are Lord of my life, right? A lot of us are okay with God being Lord over everything else, but when it comes to letting go of those things in me, God, you can be Lord. Jesus, you can be Lord. You just can't be Lord here, and most of us live in some kind of confined place where we hold on to power and control which doesn't really exist, fighting the God of the universe for what we know he has is better because we're petrified of turning loose. Lordship and understanding lordship means I get to let go. And I get to trust that God is that good and that his love is extravagant and amazing 
And so I have the privilege, and I call it a privilege very intentionally, of surrendering my will to his. And what Paul is saying is that I consider this thing, this rubbish, this garbage, compared to the greatness of knowing Jesus, who is my personal, my deeply personal Lord and Savior. And Paul spent a huge portion of his life being his own Lord and Savior. And I will do things for God. Remember, same God. I will do things for you. And I will offer things that you need me for. And Paul spent his, most of his life chasing himself. But when he in this passage acknowledges that Jesus is his personal Lord, my Lord, he's saying he gets all of me. All of me. One of the greatest tensions in my spiritual life is really surrendering my personal nature to the lordship of Jesus Christ. The lordship. Like, God, even if I don't understand it, even if I don't get it, even if I'm afraid of it, like, you get all of it. You are my Lord. Whether I want to acknowledge it or not, I want you and need you to have it. I want that to be the cry of my spiritual life. I want that to be the cry of your spiritual life. Lord, like, I get to give this to you because you are my Lord and my Savior. And you know what I get in return? The surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. The surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. And I love that statement from Paul because it's just so simple. So every amazing thing that this world has to offer, material or non-material, ideology or non-ideology, heartbeats, offerings, skill sets, gift, stuff, education, titles, money, all of this stuff is absolute excrement just compared to the simple truth of knowing Jesus. Not all the things that God is going to do and for you in the great life. No, just knowing him. That's how incredible God is. That the very best that this world says you can have is garbage, throwaway, waste, belongs in the outhouse compared to the simplicity of just knowing him. So have you ever thought about that in your life? Like, God, the surpassing greatness of just knowing you. Like, the fact that you just let me know you. Like, that is, I'll give everything away. I give everything else I've built my life on away just to know you. That is the longing of my heart. The deep longing of my heart would be at this place where I would understand that all that I try and do for God is garbage. Try and earn this, try and perform this, try and gauge this is garbage just compared to the glimpse into his nature and character of that personal relationship with Christ. This morning as we close in worship, what I want you to do is just sort of engage your heart and say, God, I want a personal relationship with you. If you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus in your entire life, you've just never said, God, I want to know you intimately. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want you to rescue me. I want you to be my Lord. I really would invite you to come down and visit with me. And let me tell you how you can begin a relationship with Jesus because it is the only thing that matters. Everything else is just rubbish. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your timeless word. We thank you, God, for the truth of your grace and for the promise of this deeply intimate personal relationship where our loss really is gained because we get to know you, the surpassing greatness of knowing you on a personal level, that you are my Lord, you are my personal Savior, you have redeemed and rescued me, and God, you are Lord, and you are Lord of my life, and you get it all, even when it seems undoable, 
even when it seems like life is difficult, even when it seems like everything is stacked against me, God, you are my Lord. I still trust you. You still win. You still are better. Your love is extravagant. It is overwhelming. It is fierce. And it is powerful. And you are Lord, my Lord. And so God, as we close our time, I pray that that would be what we're crying at the top of our lungs, we would cry out a truth that says, you wash over me. You get me. You are mine. I am yours. I surrender my heart to you, God. My Lord, my Savior. It's all rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of just knowing you. Let's stand.